African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more co- cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the rights to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. This is another interactive installment of African Dialogue. Remember that you are listening to us on Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. And you're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. My name is Benjamin Moshatama. Thank you for joining me as well. If you're listening to us via DSTV, we're on Channel 902 on the audio bouquet there. Well, today on the program, we'll look at the refugee crisis in Europe. That's what we'll be looking at today. Know that it's a big story right now, and there seems to be a lot of adjustments that have been made by European countries. But we'll look at that after our news. Uh, we've got Asanda Matsunyan standing by. In the news, Guinea-Bissau's president names a new government. Cameroon achieves MDG targets of halving the numbers of the undernourished and red tape and confusion prevent more than 2 million Myanmar citizens from voting in the first free elections. Good morning. Guinea-Bissau's President José Mario Vaz has named a new government with the backing of the second biggest party. This comes weeks after his dismissal of the previous cabinet sparked fears of a return to turmoil in the coup-plagued West African nation. Vaz sacked then-Prime Minister Domingo Somoz Pereira last month amid a growing row between the men, both members of the ruling PAIGC. The president then named Bicaro Ja as the new premier. The former Portuguese colony has a long history of political instability, having suffered nine coups or attempted coups since 1980. Cameroon has already achieved both the Millennium Development Goal targets of halving the proportion of the population suffering from undernourishment by 2015 and the more stringent World Food Summit target of 1996 of halving the absolute numbers of the hungry by 2015. This according to Minister of Agriculture and Rural Development, Esime Menyi. His comments come as the Food and Agriculture Organization looks to Cameroon's strong commitment to food security and rural development. Many elaborates. The partnership will help bring more capacity and more technology 
to our agriculture. That means the new bureau of FAO Niaonde will be able to welcome about 40 technicians and individuals with more competencies that will help enhance the capacity of our youth willing to go into agribusiness. This bureau will bring more capacity and then will be able to train our farmers and everybody willing to go into agribusiness. Red tape and confusion have prevented more than 2 million Myanmar citizens working overseas to sign up to vote in the first free election since the end of military rule in 2011, leaving a vast majority without a voice. The country was under military rule for almost 50 years. Workers and activists have blamed bureaucracy, adding that Myanmar embassies made little effort to inform potential voters about the November 8 election. Opposition leader Aung San Suu Kyi's National League for Democracy is expected to win the vote, which marks a major shift in Myanmar's political landscape. The Obama administration is considering a range of approaches in response to the global refugee crisis, including refugee resettlement. The White House says the administration is in regular contact with countries in the Middle East and Europe who have been greatly impacted by the increased number of refugees. As Europe grapples with the flood of refugees, some refugee and immigrant critics have complained that the United States has been slow to respond. And finally, South African Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa has emphasized the importance of prioritizing sustainable management of forests as the world confronts global warming. He was addressing delegates at the 14th World Forestry Congress in South Africa's coastal city, Durban. Ramaphosa has called on the delegates at the Congress to amplify the significance of forests in mitigating the harmful effects of climate change. We are confident this Congress will help map the future of the forestry sector as a critical pillar of the sustainable development of our planet. South Africa is determined to be part of the global response to the global challenge of addressing the challenges that face all of us as human beings, particularly in relation to how we can conserve our forests. Our top stories now. Guinea-Bissau's president names a new government. Cameroon achieves MDG targets of halving the numbers of the undernourished and red tape and confusion prevent more than 2 million Myanmar citizens from voting in the first free elections. For Channel Africa News, I'm Asanda Matsaunyani. Well, as you heard there in our bulletin there by Sander, today we're really going to be focusing on that refugee crisis in Europe, which she cited there. We see now that there is an involvement of the United States coming to the forefront, and there has been a lot of criticism coming to the United States in terms of uh, what's happening in North Africa and also in terms of what's happening in countries like Syria, Libya, uh, for example, and that's what's creating the havoc that we are seeing in Europe with this refugee crisis that is currently taking 
taking place. European countries have been left with little choice but to come up with effective strategies to deal with the current refugee crisis on the continent. It has been estimated that 350,000 migrants across the Mediterranean Sea to reach Europe this year. German uh, Chancellor Angela Merkel has uh, announced that she will spend 6 billion euros on refugees while allowing in more than 30,000 refugees into her country. It is also not Germany that's coming on board in terms of dealing with this problem as the European Commission has proposed mandatory quotas for European Union states to relieve the burden on Greece, Italy and Hungary. Now we're going to be looking at this story in terms of what's happening in this regard. Look at uh, the dynamics of what is creating the problem and also look at uh, how Europe is handling this particular problem. I know on the line we've got Craig Smith who is an immigration specialist and uh, specialist uh, immigration uh, practitioner as well. So we're going to be speaking to him about this particular topic. Craig, thank you for joining us on the line. I want to also thank Leon Isaacson, who's the Managing Director of Global Migration, as well as Geshen Musiane, who's the Chairperson of the Forum for Immigration Practitioners in South Africa. And uh, let me start with you, uh, Craig. What are the main elements that we're seeing here when it comes to the influx of refugees moving into Europe? Thank you very much for having me. Well, well it's, it's not unusual uh, in terms of uh, most continents, most countries. There are often push and pull factors which, uh, which make refugee, the refugee crisis all, all, the, all, the, all the worse to, to handle. For example, we're obviously seeing a, a major mass movement of asylum seekers, refugees, that are emanating from Syria. I mean, that's uh, obviously a culmination of civil war, dictatorships, and, and, and atrocities, whether there's also uh, eth- ethnic issues and religious issues. So obviously that is a push factor which renders these people very vulnerable and unsafe to stay in their country. Remember, of course, mm. the refugee law, and this is universal, and this is which most civilized countries acceded to in various conventions emanating from 1951 in the Geneva Convention, Mm. where they acceded to these protocols in handling refugees. So there's an immediate push factor to say to to these vulnerable people, they have nowhere to go, they have no real options in life, but to obviously look after their own safety and that of their families, and then Mm. They are then saying, well, where do we go? Where do we flee? Where do we find refuge? And one of the obvious destinations uh, would be within mainly the EU structures. Mm. Well, let me move on. Yeah. Well, let me move on to some of our other guests. I'll come back to you, Craig, just to see some of the issues legally of what's happening in this regard. I also have Ntogozo Matlango. Let me also uh, just welcome him on the program. He's the media and communication consultant for the International Organization for Migration. Before I move on to uh, Leon and Gershon, I think let me start off with you, Ntogozo. Thank you for joining us there. Ntogozo, um, tell us a little bit about uh, this particular problem. I know that it's a long-going uh, problem that has been taking place migration and refugee movements all across the world. I know it's an international uh, problem that we are currently facing. 
Tell us a little bit about how many people are actually moving into Europe, especially when you look at these countries that seem to be uh, really causing this particular issue currently in Syria. We know that North Africa and the Middle East seem to be the main areas where things seem to be taking place and there's a lot of conflict in those particular areas. Give us a little bit of a more context of what's happening here. Well, thank you very much for um, having me on the show, Benjamin. Um, as well, greeting other guests there in the studio. Um, for now, for, for particularly African migrants moving into Europe, I, I wouldn't say we have um, statistical information on that. However, according to the UNHCR Global Report 2014, the largest number of island, uh, asylum seekers um, applications was 120. Uh, 1,600 which came from Syrian nationals who accounted to 22% of all the new applications in the European Union. Um, other top countries of origin included uh, Serbia and Kosovo, Afghanistan, Eritrea, and the number of uh, asylum applications in the southeastern Europe also rose from 10,000 to, uh, um, uh, in, in, in 2013 to, to more than 20,000 last year. The majority of those claims were, were registered in, in Syria. And, and during the year, in addition to hosting uh, about 1.7 million Syrian refugees, including uh, 229,000 in camps, Turkey also saw the arrival of um, tens of, of, of thousands of Iraqi refugees fleeing increasing violence mm, in Iraq. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's very interesting. In terms of uh, the, the dynamics that we're seeing in those particular countries, um, also, we've seen some uh, problems within the Mediterranean, Mediterranean Sea and uh, also what's happening in Southeast Europe. They, we see that there's a lot of applications of asylum there, and you highlighted some of uh, the statistics coming there. But uh, there is that problem that we earlier spoke about earlier in this year uh, on this particular problem of people crossing within the Mediterranean Sea. Can you just give us uh, a few of details what's happening there, those particular dynamics in the crossings between the Mediterranean Sea and Togozo? I know that we've got a figure here of 350,000 migrants who crossed the Mediterranean Sea just this year to reach Europe. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure what you mean by the dynamics of crossing, you know, around around the sea. I mean, in terms of uh, what's actually causing that particular movements within uh, Europe and North Africa, is it the civil war? Just let us know what's happening in that regard. Just more information. Uh, EU, EU countries uh, have long tried to manage the migratory flows towards, you know, its borders, which consists largely of people fleeing conflict and dictatorship or economic disasters. So the truth of the matter is that uh, people need refuge. You know, people are, at, are in very compromising situations. So, you know, they would go to any length, whether it's, uh, it's very dangerous, it's uh, life-threatening, but however, right at that moment, it is that um, uh, desperation to actually find safety. So other, other details are not really paid attention to, you just really need to protect your family, protect your life as well.
Well, I'm going to go to a quick break. Uh, the time right now is uh, quarter past 11 o'clock Central African time. Today we are looking at this uh, refugee crisis in Europe. But really, there is a big response that is taking place by European countries. We know the German Chancellor Angela Merkel has announced that she will spend 6 billion euros in refugees, on refugees rather than allow up to 30,000 refugees into her country. And also, I know that uh, uh, the United Kingdom as well has has made a commitment in this regard. Uh, there have been uh, statements that have been made by the Prime Minister of the country there. Let's take a quick break and we'll continue this conversation. Get to know Channel Africa and all the people who bring news, views and great African entertainment. You can now catch Channel Africa on DSTV Audio Bouquet, Channel 902. Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. If you are interested in the hospitality industry in Africa, then we have news for you. Join Channel Africa from the 9th to the 11th of this month. We will be bringing you live coverage of the Hotel Investment Conference Africa taking place at the Hilton Hotel in Johannesburg, South Africa. This premier business-to-business networking and engagement platform is being held this year under the theme Growth Through Partnerships. So join Channel Africa's African Dialogue and Gateway to Africa programs on Thursday and Friday at 1100 Central African Time for live coverage from the Hotel Investment Conference from the 9th to 11th of September. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, we will be broadcasting from uh, Santon on Thursday and Friday at this particular time to look at that particular conference. And uh, uh, so do join us at 11 o'clock Central African time right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. You are listening to African Dialogue with me, Benjamin Mushatama. Today we're looking at uh, the refugee crisis in Europe. There's a big conversation happening in this regard. And uh, let me go back to some of our other guests that we haven't spoken to as we start the program. Uh, Leon, I Isaacson, let me come to you in terms of what's happening in, in, in this regard. And I know that uh, there's been a, a big conversation about how is Europe going to handle this particular situation. But before we deal with what Europe is trying to do, let's look at the misunderstanding that has been taking place between refugees and migrants. The definitions in Europe seem to not be cemented yet. What's happening in this regard in terms of the misunderstandings between these two terms, refugee and migrant? Uh, look, migrant as a term uh, would broadly refer to people who move for a whole range of reasons. And remember that within the EU, people have freedom of movement. So when you're talking about refugees, you're talking about people who come from a third territory outside of the EU and who are typically going there for reasons of um, either wanting to better themselves economically or for reasons of distress Um, in their own country. And the predominant thrust at the moment has been because of the uh, unrest and the political situations in um, North Africa, and obviously the big one, the big driver at the moment is the whole Syrian ISIS 
issue um, where these people are clearly uh, in, in large numbers moving away from a territory which has been unsettled uh, for the last four years. So the Syrian crisis and the civil war um, has displaced almost four and a half million Syrians inside their own country, and people have been leaving at a rate of about 5,000 a day for the last six to seven months, um, and then are now finding themselves into Central Europe. So that is what one is seeing um, and why it's suddenly become a, a hugely publicized issue, that the numbers have increased and people cannot go back to Syria because it's, predominant, it, it, it's just unsettled. There's, there's no short-term opportunity for that situation to be settled. And, and let me bring that to you, Geshe Musian, in terms of those particular definitions, because it seems like also the rights of migrants themselves have been challenged by the refugee status, um, and people don't seem to understand that migrants themselves also have their own particular rights in terms of their uh, in terms of international law. Can you elaborate on that? Yes, uh, basically, if you are a migrant. Speaking from a human rights point of view, you are entitled to basic rights. But one has to take into consideration that in claiming those basic rights, you should abide by the laws of the country that you are migrating to. But now what, what, what happens in most cases is that people become what you call economic migrants, whereby they, they, they migrate to a country and claim uh, refugee status or asylum status whilst they are not actually running away from being persecuted in their country of origin, but are actually coming there for economic reasons. So that creates a confusion now as to what is exactly the status of a person. But that is clearly defined uh, by international law and uh, United Nations declarations, which clearly has a universal definition of what is a, a refugee and what is a, a a, a displaced person and what is a, an economic migrant. Mm. Very interesting indeed because there seems to be a contestation with that particular definition. Craig Smith, coming back to you, in yes. terms of creating distinctions in terms of what's happening in Europe, I think it's very important for people to understand those particular differences because you don't want to create a system whereby there's more confusion. We know that that has happened in South Africa where you have these xenophobic attacks and there seems to be a lot of confusion in terms of these, these definitions themselves and also how to actually respond to the refugee crisis in uh, Europe. You need to create a very much specific uh, drawing of lines between uh, the differences. Yes, look, <clears throat> there needs to be consistency. Where there is consistency is the fundamental right that, that was born out of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights in 1948, where they said there are two key factors to determine whether you would qualify for a refugee status. One, do you face persecution in your, in your home country? Uh, it could be through religious grounds, national beliefs. It could be you may be a homosexual, and you certainly become a persona non grata, for example, in Uganda. So that's the first ground. It's persecution. Alternatively, it could be war. In fact, you may even find you, you subjected to both of those grounds. So that is consistent worldwide. That's, that's universal. The problem that you have, and, and this, is, this was recently publicized by Theresa May and endorsed by David Cameron in the UK, 
where they will, they will make assumptions, whether it's political grandstanding or not, and they will say the predominant amount, the predominant asylum seekers that are seeking refuge are economic migrants. And that's not true, because actually it can be demonstrated that, and, and they seem to cite countries that are anything but Syria. The minute Syria is, is, is the hotbed of migration or, or asylum seeking, certainly in terms of a push out of Syria, those are clearly asylum seekers. Now, what would happen is each country would apply those two critical principles of what would constitute refugee status, and they would have their own machinery in terms of timing of adjudication and, and all the necessary processes to determine a final adjudication. What needs to happen, in fact, is the EU needs to come together and standardize how they are going to deal with this because certain core fundamentals never change. And in my view, um, they, they, it, is a, it is made more complex by, by, for example, the UK attempting to say, well, you know what, they mainly UK, they mainly, sorry, economic migrants. Mm -hmm. I want to give you an example. Lebanon has received about 1.3 million of the asylum seekers from Syria and only have a population of 4.5 million. Europe has a population of 740 million. And when they say that the amount of asylum seekers may even be a million, um, it pales into insignificance in the scheme of things. My view is really that they have an obligation. They set out in the 50s and 60s in various conventions for refugee status to deal with these situations. Now it has come about, and it's possibly the worst crisis since the Second World War, but they've signed, for up, signed up for it. They need to deal with it and they need to deal with it pragmatically and fairly, and they have to standardize it amongst themselves. Also, I want to look at, just to take that position a bit further, the response of Europe is very interesting. There's been a conversation of introducing mandatory quotas by the European Commission to deal with the refugee crisis, and this is just to relieve the burden on Greece, Italy, and Hungary. Uh, coming to you, Ntogozo, is this um, a positive move according to the International Organization for Migration? I think, indeed, it is a, a positive move. However, um, it, it, it's only positive for, for a temporary solution because, go back to what I said earlier, that right now, as this stage has reached uh, a, a status of, of, of crisis, people will need refuge right now. And um, I guess did mention that um, everyone has a basic right to life, you know, no one deserves to die. So um, for now, as, as, as a temporary solution, yes, definitely it is a positive move. Um, um, however, you know, there should be a long-term plan, you know, put in place that needs to be worked on to, to ensure that, you know, these issues will be correctly dealt with. Because right now, um, I mean, migration, you know, generally it's a very, very complex, complex issue, you know, um, and it, 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 it is also, it, it is beneficial for, not let me say beneficial, however, it, it, it makes things easier if there was, you know, time to plan to evaluate situations and also, you know, re, uh, visit policy 
um, options or explore policy options as to how migration on, um, in, 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 in general will be dealt with. So for now, yes, there's a temporary temporal solution because people need uh, people need refuge, they need protection, but they should be allowed in there. Mm. Let me move that back to you, um, uh, Gershon, in terms of uh, that particular response of uh, creating a system whereby different countries carry a certain burden. I know that uh, uh, Germany said they would take in around uh, 30,000, where the UK came around now saying, okay, they'll take in around 20,000. Do you think that's very instrumental in dealing with this situation, uh, sharing the burden within Europe? I think I think it is important because of uh, the issue of refugees or migrants. It is not an individual issue. It is every person's responsibility to make sure that a fellow human being uh, has basic needs. Because of one example, if we neglect as 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 the world uh, refugees or migrants who are suffering, then these people will come back to our doorstep and steal from us and cause disease and whatever. Therefore, if countries take that responsibility, I believe that in the long term it will benefit the world, not only Syria. Even in future, if we have situations, for an example, like the Nepal situation where you have an earthquake, it is upon the world to help each other. Human beings have in their nature that ability to take care of each other. Well, uh, you are listening to African Dialogue. You're listening to us here on Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa, and the voice of the African Renaissance. I'll come back to you, Leon, in terms of looking at uh, the issues of capacity. Does Europe have the capacity to deal with this particular influx? But I want to come to you as our listener and hear what your views are in terms of the story that we're looking at. Just some of the issues that Craig mentioned earlier on had to do with the definitions and the misunderstandings, even within the UK and the British leadership, you saw a misunderstanding of those particular definitions of what refugee is and also what migration, what a migrant is. So I want to come to you and ask you the question, do you think that we really understand as a world the issue of migration, the issue of refugees and migrants? Seems like every time I do a program on this, there's still a confusion between the two terms. Let me know your thoughts about the story that we're talking about today. Plus two seven seven nine. 695-7930 is our SMS number. That's plus 27-79-695-7930. Let us know your thoughts. Do you think that we've actually been able to understand the issues of migration? And it seems complex, as some of our guests have highlighted. Do we understand the issues of migration in our world? Let's take a quick break, and we'll be back. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. 
this is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more co- cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Yes, you are listening to African Dialogue right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. And today we're looking at uh, the response of uh, European countries to deal with the refugee crisis. We know that uh, there is an influx of uh, refugees, especially from Syria. We're from looking at the ISIS problem in that particular part of the world. We know that the majority of the refugees come from Syria, also Afghanistan and Eritrea. And uh, we know that uh, the statistics of uh, uh, also um, refugees coming between North Africa uh, through the Mediterranean Sea into Europe is also a concerning issue that has been long stirring and all these things are due to conflict and civil wars in these particular countries. Just to let you know who we're speaking to today, we've got Craig Smith who's a specialist and he's a real uh, specialist in immigration and also in terms of looking at uh, the immigration laws and we've got Leon Isaacson who is a managing director of global migration? Also, we have uh, Gershon Musian, who's the chairperson of the Forum for Immigration Practitioners of South Africa and the media and communications consultant from the International Organization for Migration, Dogozo Matlang, who joins us on the program. Now, in terms of capacity, I wanted to ask you this question, Leon, in terms of looking at just the situation in South Africa. As soon as we opened our borders to uh, Zimbabwe, it seems like we could control the situation. But now we see that we have over uh, uh, thousands and of um, of Zimbabweans living in South Africa, and uh, sometimes South Africa speaks about: Do we have the capacity to deal with the number of Zimbabweans or other refugees that find themselves in uh, South Africa? Looking at what's happening in Europe, do you think that Europe has the capacity in itself to deal with this uh, refugee crisis that they're facing right now? Firstly, um, you know, when I hear people say migration is new or it's uh, it's a a new challenge and we don't have history, we don't have skills, uh, I think the first thing we all have to do is stick up our hands and say that we're all refugees. We, We all migrated from somewhere to somewhere at a certain point in time, and human beings um, in in our current evolution have been migrating for the last 15,000 years. So it's not new. What is new is the idea of a nation-state with a prescribed border, which is only about 150 years old, where a country and a nation lives in a prescribed area and owns that territory. So what happens when people from outside move in? Firstly, space is contested. So let's say a foreigner comes into my country, my area, comes to my farm and my house. There's there's, there's a, a notion of ownership that has to be dealt with there. And, and the reality in, in the current situation, whether it's South Africa or in Europe, is that these issues are going to have to be dealt with and managed. And, yes, there are protocols in place. But, you know, these are not planned. These are emergency situations. These are unforeseen 
consequences, although there was an expectation that with the ongoing Syrian crisis there would be movement um, towards Europe and, and not just towards Asia um, and, and towards the Middle East. And there are protocols in place and there are budgets in place. And I think that we, as Gershon was saying earlier, I think that we have to realize that these are human beings who are in distress. These are not situations of their own creation. And then big adjustments will, will have to be made to, to accommodate people. I must say, with, with a lot of the negativity that circulates, there are scholars who have studied the effects of refugees, particularly the economic effects of refugees um, on other countries. And there is a, a, a very big body of documented scholarship which actually indicates that refugees are positive contributors to the economies into which they go. Uh, there are people who um, have enterprise, there are people who have energy, and there are people who want better lives. So the, the predominant view of saying that the people who come from outside from situations of distress um, are going to have a necessarily a long-term negative impact on our environment is not backed up by scholarship. Well, let me take that to you, uh, Craig, in terms of that issue of uh, that fight for space, in terms of capacity. Does Europe have that capacity to deal with it, to deal with this particular crisis? Because it's not just one country that's moving into Europe. We've highlighted that it's North Africa. We know that it's Afghanistan, Eritrea, Syria, and also other parts of the continent, yeah. indeed, because also there's a, a lot of uh, benefits for migrants as well from other parts of the country who want to move into Europe and actually deal with uh, and maybe barter there and be business people there and, and live there in terms of the, the opportunities that are in Europe. So does um, Europe have that particular capacity to deal with this influx of refugees on top of the uh, migrants that are seeking uh, economic opportunities on that continent? Well, look, first off, there's a very negative perception around immigration at the moment in Europe. I mean, uh, many of the developed uh, EU countries are up in arms about immigration. It becomes a political ticket to garner votes. Uh, countries become more sovereign and nationalistic in their approach. And the last thing they need right now is this humanitarian crisis and refugee crisis. The reality is, whether they like it or not, they need to accept it. They signed up for it and they need to deal with it. And they need to deal with it properly without moaning about it. Like we have Theresa May, um, who is the Minister of the Home Office in the UK, endorsed by Cameron. Where, and the reality is it's a myth. They, Europe has about, and I'm quoting from an article by a writer in the UK, who says, Europe has about 740 million in terms of population. If you take 200,000, hypothetically, of uh, asylum seekers, who even become refugees for that matter, and they qualify, which in most cases they would, because clearly there is civil, civil disturbance, it would effectively result in a 0.027 uh, equation in relation to the 740 million. It's minuscule in, in essence. 
Um, mm-hmm. And then you have to deal with those countries, as I mentioned earlier, Lebanon dealing with 1.5 Syrian refugees mm-hmm. and has a population of 4.5 million. Now, there must be a will to have to deal with this. You can't shirk your responsibility for what you signed up for all those years ago. The bottom line is they have an obligation to deal with it. Yes, it's not popular. Yes, the world is still technically in an economic crisis. But regrettably, it's something that they need to deal with, deal with collectively. There's no simple answer, but uh, amongst the leadership of the EU, they need to come together and they need to deal with it. And they don't need, if, as long as they highlight the negativity surrounding it, mm. um, it's, it's, it's not going to take us any further. And I do agree with Leon, because there are many researchers that have been conducted, and in fact, opening the doors to uh, these asylum seekers and refugees can have a positive effect in your community, in your own country, and, and that is where they need to make, they maybe need to make a paradigm shift between being totally restrictive in terms of their sovereignty of their own country and realizing their obligations in terms of the refugee crisis. And they haven't had to really deal with this for many, many decades. Now they, I mean, UK was declining in the number of asylum seekers. Mm-hmm. So there's no reason why they can't come to the party and share Angela Merkel's and follow her lead mm-hmm. in giving greater rights and respect to their rights because it's a humanitarian crisis and they just have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. You can't talk it away. It's not going to go away. But also that brings me back to the real problems, the roots of the matter, which are these wars and these conflicts that are taking place in these particular countries. Coming back to you, Ntogozo, doesn't this current refugee crisis reveal to us that the international community needs to deal with the war in Syria, needs to deal with the conflicts that are taking place in North Africa and the Middle East. There needs to be symptoms of uh, a commitment to deal with these conflicts that are taking part in these uh, in these areas because that's where the problem is. What's your view there? Definitely, um, there is a, a, a dire need for the international community to, um, um, you know, uh, take part in in, 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 in in building a solution, come up with a solution to, 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 to the root cause of the matter because for as long as um, such countries as, uh, you know, Syria have such crisis or war, there will be a constant, um, there will be constant uh, move of migrants or refugees or whatever into, into, into the nearest borders that they can find refuge in. So there's definitely a need for, 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 for a solution that uh, will be, you know, formulated through uh, a partnership of many, many stakeholders in making sure that the root causes are, are addressed. Yeah, uh, coming to you, Geshen, clearly the United Nations also needs to step in here and actually not just deal with humanitarian issues, but also deal with these politics that seem to be creating big, big humanitarian problems. Yes, but the, the, the challenge with the United Nations, remember politically for them to intervene, most of the decisions have to be made at the Security Council level. And you find that uh, the bigger countries are reluctant to vote, for an example, let's take Syria, 
to 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 vote for military intervention whereby the whole war situation can be can be stopped so it is it is more of a situation that uh, by them uh, refusing or uh, being reluctant to to act politically ends up being a bigger problem like we have now and one one just believes that this the lessons that should be learned by the whole world uh, from this catastrophe is that if there is a political problem in a country, it is important for the international world, especially as you say, at UN level, to intervene and find amicable solutions quickly to resolve the issues before they escalate and, and turn into a catastrophe as we have it now. Because of, I mean, mm. for an example, mm. I think the whole world, when they saw the picture of that child who drowned, I mean, it will, it will, it will never disappear from our minds. And it mm. is upon us as, as people that are able to make a difference, to make a difference. And it, it's upon the politicians who are able to, to make the, the proper decisions to make these decisions. Because at the end of the day, they will come back to your doorstep. Mm. Craig, uh, I'll end this conversation with you in terms of, uh, hey, Ntogozo uh, Eliawan was speaking about a long-term plan that is required. Just in a minute or so, I've got just a minute left of the program. What can be done in terms to create a long-term plan to deal with these issues? Because they are long-standing, and it seems to be a problem that we need to deal with very efficiently. Yeah, look, I mean, if you take all the comments that the guests have have raised, I mean, there's the root issue, there's the conflict in those very countries that make these uh, people, vulnerable people, want to leave. That is an issue that needs to be challenged. And jointly, it needs to be discussed how they're going to receive these influxes of people. Refugee uh, migration and asylum seekers and movement worldwide is always going to happen. Um, the question, you know, I wanted to, one of the speakers wrote about uh, a comment on the, the lack of foreseeability. I mean... It should be up to the EU countries. They should know all too well mm. that, you know, a crisis could be looming. Um, in my view, they should never be caught unawares. Mm. The worst of it is where the actual politicians grandstand and attempt to argue this away. Mm. And partly what I think Gershon said, when you see the actual visual impact of a vulnerable person, a young, young child who's who was obviously drowned, I mean, that stirs the emotion. Mm. You shouldn't have to have that to get, you know, put yourself into mm. the right way of thinking and acting now. Acting should happen without that. And it, unless there's going to be a collective acceptance that the EU countries, for the benefit of the global world and the global refugee crisis, Mm. Unless there's an acceptance and a will, then you're always going to have this problem. You're going to have the juggling of some hungry wanting to put up fences. But at the end of the day, they need to speak with a common voice. And whether the in dealing with the, the consequence of the political problems in those countries, hopefully the politicians can deal with their own situations with well, them. But mm. it's, it's an we ongoing crisis. As Leon said, we will forever have this. So we need to have the correct protocols in place.
to deal with this. Well, we have to wrap it up, Craig. And planning. Yeah, we have to wrap it up. Sorry, Craig, to cut you off there. I've run out of time. Thank you to Craig Smith, the immigration practitioner and specialist. Thank you also to Leon Isaacson, Managing Director of Global Migration. Thank you also to uh, the chairperson of the Forum for Immigration Practitioners of South Africa, Gershon Mushiani. And thank you to Ntogozo Matlango from the International Organization for Migration. Uh, thank you all for joining us on our program. Time for us to move on quickly. Let's get a break, and then when we come back, we're going to go directly to Anne Musa for our economics update. If you are interested in the hospitality industry in Africa, then we have news for you. Join Channel Africa from the 9th to the 11th of this month. We will be bringing you live coverage of the Hotel Investment Conference Africa taking place at the Hilton Hotel in Johannesburg, South Africa. This premier business-to-business networking and engagement platform is being held this year under the theme Growth Through Partnerships. So join Channel Africa's African Dialogue and Gateway to Africa programs on Thursday and Friday at 1100 Central African time for live coverage from the Hotel Investment Conference from the 9th to 11th of September. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. The 2015 African Retail Development Index has revealed the most attractive developing markets across Africa for expansion. The study reconfirms the potential of many nations throughout Africa, not just often discussed markets like Nigeria and Ghana, but also small dynamic markets such as Gabon and Angola. It discusses the growth in middle class in Africa increased, the spread of malls, land being taken up for development for retail purposes, and Sub-Sahara's young and connected middle class that is growing fast and still deciding on its favorite brands. Cameroon's strategies to boost rural growth, promote agricultural jobs and develop policies to improve living conditions in the hinterlands have come under the spotlight. This as the Food and Agricultural Organization's Director General Jose Grazino de Silva embarks on a two-day visit for agricultural promotion in the country. De Silva has expressed his wish for his institution and the Central African nation to collaborate. Moki Kinziga reports. FAO Director General Jose Graziano da Silva, during a two-day stay in Cameroon, visited experimental farms for agricultural promotion and expressed his wish for his institution and the Central African nation to collaborate in exporting the know-how to other countries still to attain the objective of reducing malnourished people by half before this year's deadline. African mobile internet firm Smile Telecoms has raised 365 million US dollars to fund the expansion of high-speed broadband networks. This is the latest firm to jockey for a position in the continent's fast-growing mobile consumer market. Telecoms and internet companies are expanding in Africa to take advantage of the growing demand for data-heavy services. 
Kenya shilling has slipped to its lowest level against the U.S. dollar since October 2011, this despite the central bank intervening in the market to sell dollars. Traders say the central bank sold dollars when the shilling touched 106 shillings per dollar, its lowest level in nearly four years. Kenya's central bank has in the past few months intervened to support the currency by selling dollars. Profit in Botswana's commercial banks fell 16.7% last year due to low interest rates and a spike in non-performing loans. After tax, profit in Botswana's banking sector slipped 16.7% to $141 million US dollars for the year to end December. In a bid to boost a flagging economy, the central bank has cut interest rates by two percentage points since December 2013. The economy is also struggling with low prices for diamonds. It's main export commodity. The banking sector faced severe liquidity shortages in the second half of 2014 due to a prolonged period of credit extension without a corresponding rise in deposits. Looking at the financial indicators, the US dollar is trading at 39.1 to the South African Rand, at 10.37 to the Botswana Pula and at 9.90 to the Zambian Kwacha. It's also trading at 0.65 to the British Pound and at 0.89 to the euro. On to the commodities, gold trading at $1,119. Platinum is at $987 an ounce, and the spot price of Brent crude oil is at $48.58 a barrel. And that's the economic update. Well, now we have Tommy Guza to give us our sports news. In your sports, South Africa's Bafana Bafana coach, Sheikh Mashaba, is set to prioritize results at the expense of playing entertainment football as he and his team look to restore the pride of the nation after their dismal outing against Mauritania. Bafana Bafana takes on Senegal in the annual Nelson Mandela Challenge tonight at the Orlando Stadium. But their attempt to redeem has been dealt a blow though, with the team doctor Tulani Nguenya confirming that both Rivaldo Kutze and Eric Matoho will not feature due to injuries the centre-backs picked up against Mauritania. Uh, Tao has a shoulder injury and uh, Rivaldo has an ankle injury. They are both out. They're not going to play tomorrow. And uh, we're going to do a scan on Tao, but he's definitely out. And uh, Anele and uh, Gabuza, they are back in action. They're going to be playing. Meanwhile, Federation Union Kosatu in the Western Cape says that they are shocked by Bafana's performance in their match against Mauritania. Bafana Bafana lost a 3-1 to Mauritania in their second T Africa Cup of Nations 2017 qualifying match at the weekend. Provincial Secretary Tony Ehrenreich. It seems our team is in disarray. And so we're going to insist that an urgent action plan be put in place to improve the lot of Bafana. But we also need to look at the issues of transformation and the coaching staff generally to make sure that we can prove the game of what is essentially the national sport of South Africa that's now falling apart. 
And now in rugby, with the entire South African Springbok squad expected to be fit before the start of the Rugby World Cup, Team Dr. Craig Roberts says that the next challenge is to get the players match fit. Roberts gave an update on the injury situation in the Springbok camp with the bout of flu keeping Captain John De Villiers and Brian Habana sidelined. Eben Esbeth had a light calf strain, but the towering lock is expected to be fit for the selection for the box opening World Cup match against Japan in Brighton on September the 19th. Meanwhile, long-term injured layoffs, Duenfer, Moulian, Fouri Dupree and Francois Lowe all took part in training session yesterday. It was good to see Valmulem training with the rest of the squad and also taking part in conduct sessions. The powerful number eight is still on rehabilitation process, which will end a few days before the match against the Japanese. Valmulem says that he's looking forward to his first World Cup. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's unbelievable to be back on the field uh, training with the guys. Um, running around, it's 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 nice to be a part, be a part of the the 31 man squad. Um, it's it wasn't nice to to run on the sidelines, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm just looking forward to to be a part of this of this World Cup, and uh, it's definitely my first one. So um, yeah, just looking forward to to, to this whole whole venture. And now trending on Twitter in tennis in South Africa is that Kevin Anderson has advanced to the quarterfinals of the Grand Slam event for the first time in his career. Anderson caused a major upset at the U.S. Open in New York when he beat third seeds Britain and Murray in four sets in the fourth round. It was the first time since the 2010 U.S. Open that Murray lost before the quarterfinals of the Grand Slam. And Anderson says that he feels emotional about the win. Just was really happy with the way I competed, played throughout. I mean, it was tough losing a third set in a breaker, but you know, just stuck to my guns and find myself in another breaker. And obviously, that couldn't have gone any better. A lot of excitement, relief. I mean, there was a lot of emotions, and especially in that atmosphere as well, it was uh, you know definitely a terrific feeling. And that's the end of our sport. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, and back to Benjamin Moshatama. Well, that's how we wrap it up. Thank you for joining us. Just a reminder, rather, African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. Remember, interact with us via Facebook. We've got a Facebook page called Channel Africa, or you can find us on Twitter, Channel Africa 1, or at African Dialogue, or you can SMS us on plus 27796957930. We're going to end the program with a great song. It's a big hit now in South Africa. This guy, Nati, has got a big song titled Nom Vu. I hear it everywhere. I live in a township called Tembisa, just here, just not so far from Johannesburg, South Africa. And uh, yeah, this song is everywhere. So I hope that you enjoy it as well.
matunge ndi banjwanguwe yalupa standa nesilale matunge nguwe no yalupa standa nesilale matunge Open 